podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. Joffre Archer is back. He took six for 40 in his second game back from injury for England as they fell to a 2-1 series defeat to South Africa. We'll talk about that series, some Women's World Cup news, some Border Gavaska trophy preview chat and more. I'm Yaz Rana and with me today is Mark Butcher and Ben Gardner. Let's start with the England South Africa ODIs. South Africa won the series 2-1. England collapsed from 146 for none to 271 all out in the first game. South Africa chased down 342 in the second. And then England recovered from 20 for three after the power play to score 346 before Archer took that six for in his second game back from injury. The run out blog asks, what is it that makes Joffre so good? What is it that sets him apart from the rest? Butch, do you want to take that one? What is it? Um... Well, I mean, so many different things, really. I suppose number one is sort of there's there's great accuracy about what he does. There's great pace. The ball comes down from a, from a very great height. He has a snap of the wrist that means the short ball is very very difficult to pick up for people. He's clever. Um, you know, he, he he reads game situation. He reads reads batters really well. Um, he, he's the he's the full package. Um, you know, you, you ally all of those those attributes with a with a feeling for the sport and you've got a very dangerous customer it's a little bit like if Sam if Sam Curran were kind of like you know six foot four and and, and 90 miles an hour you know Archer has got all of the sort of the street smarts of somebody like Sam Curran but you ally that then with a sort of like a supreme fast bowling athlete and you've got a um, you've got somebody very very special on your hands um just that delete the ball that he hit Aidan Markram with the bouncer. Kind of watched the replay six or seven times. of was trying to suss out why, you know, that, that batters find that short ball so difficult. And I, and I think it's literally because the action stays pretty much the same. He stays very very upright, and it re- really is a snap of the wrist at the, at the last second that kind of changes the length from being something you'd be thinking about getting forward to to something that you're eating. Um, <laughs> so, so at that level, as a batter, are you looking for tells from the bowler as to what length the ball's going to be? Yeah, you you pick them up. I mean, that that's kind of you know you you face people and you start and you get to it's it's slightly subconscious. You 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 understand. Um, you might pick something up in the in the delivery stride. You might pick something up as the as the as the back foot lands. There are all kinds of tells, and I couldn't I couldn't tell you what they are because it was just something that was automatic once you'd played against somebody for a little while. Obviously, with Joffre, there's a there's a real issue in terms of of picking up that tell, um, you know. So yesterday, with that, the, the effortlessness of it all, which again we've spoken about before, in terms of how that can make him a target for people saying that he's being lazy, because clearly it isn't effortless, but because it seems as though everything is so smooth and so rhythmical, um, it, it also doesn't give the batter any idea that there's an effort ball coming, you know. Because mm. there is seemingly no effort, right? <laughs> so um, you know he's he's very very special. Um, and I, what was a great thing to see yesterday was not so much you know the pace was up and all the rest of it and the wickets, but just how engaged he was in the contest yesterday. You know how pleased he, he was to be back, how much he celebrated the wickets, um, and how genuinely in the contest he, he he was. Because you know he's been out for a long long time and he's still earned a, ca- a boatload of cash even w- without playing, and 
you know, he said how much he enjoyed being away injured because he was able to get away from the game. And, and cynical people, and, and I'm actually not being cynical in, in this case, might have said, well, blimey, you know, what have you missed? You've, you've only been playing for five minutes. But you do wonder if, if maybe the sort of, you know, the, the, the competitive edge has been drained away from somebody by basically having it all without having to do a great deal. But that certainly didn't look to be the case yesterday. So um, wonderful stuff. There have been studies done, I think, on where batters look when a fast bowl is running up. Because you'll hear sometimes people talk about you've got to watch the ball all the way down and that sort of thing. But actually what the scientists found is that the eyes would be sort of trained on the bowl of the ball as the as the bowler's running in. But then as soon as the ball's delivered, the eyes refocus to basically like a spot on the pitch vaguely where they think the ball is going to bounce. And then you kind of pick it up from there. And then from there, that's where you kind of readjust to play the shot, I guess. And it, they, they'll say that it's too quick when it's coming down beyond a certain speed. You actually can't really see it be up between release and and pitching. I, I, I heard something yesterday, Jared Kimball was talking about sort of like one of those studies and the fact that that a professional batter, if, if if on release you switch the light off, or just after release you switch the lights off, a professional batter would still be in a vaguely the right position to play it, and an amateur batter wouldn't, because that you you kind of pick up where you are picking up the length and everything happens much much earlier on in the piece, and that you actually probably don't track the ball all the way down until until the till the point where it's bounced. Um, one of the I remember talking to my old man about sort of the difference between seeing the ball early or being able to, to, to get yourself into position early and feeling like you're picking it up early and, and making time for yourself was it was was focusing on focusing on what you thought or hoped the ball was going to do, i.e. trying to play it off the wicket or looking for a spot on the pitch where you thought it was coming was disastrous. And that what what you needed to do is train yourself to kind of watch the ball out of the hand and then allow the, the brain and you uh, to transmit the signals to your body and then trust the eyes to get you in the right spot and that, that that quite often when players are out of nick they start to kind of look for things rather than look at things if you see what I mean but you know I, I, I'm not arguing with science because it, it, it all of those things make sense to me but the one thing that that, that is very difficult to explain is, is as to why once you played against a bowler, you know, for the first time, might might only be for ten balls or something in the net. You would have a your your brain builds a little bit of a picture about what potentially could be happening and and the things that that, that might change what might be coming down out of a out of a bowler's action. You mentioned his accuracy, and I do mm. wonder. Um, you obviously you obviously bowled a bit as well, but yeah. um, when. If, if somebody who's not played that much cricket watches an international and you're like, why have they bowled a, a leg stump half volley? Why mm. have they bowled a half volley miles outside off stump? That's quite often because you're trying to bowl a magic ball, right? You're trying to swing it in, you're trying to bowl it away. Sometimes it's just because you're not particularly accurate. But yeah. with Archer, he doesn't really try to swing it loads. Like his his stock ball is so good yeah. and he moves it, he nibbles it just enough off the seam. He doesn't actually need to try to do that much. And I think that is partly why he's so accurate. Like I think of other guys who are that quick. They're quite slingy quite often and he's just mm. like gun barrel straight. He's a line, no a line bowler. Yeah. Mm. I mean, he's, he's a line bowler with, with extreme pace, which is a really nasty combination. But I mean, you know, but bowlers, bowlers often, the ball doesn't go where they, where they are meaning it to go. I mm. mean, don't, don't think for a second that, that a guy will run up and be able to and be able to bowl it exactly where they want it the whole time. Sometimes the action goes a bit funny. They might, you know, the, the delivery stride they might not quite take off. The timing might be slightly off, and you're you're trying to bowl a, a line and length ball moving away from the batter on off stump, and it goes spiralling down the leg side. You know that type of bad ball down the leg side is not always because they were looking for the leg stump yorker. Sometimes yeah. they buy something completely different. You know, 
they're not um, they're not machines but but archer at his very best it has that sort of um the, the action has that sort of functionality where everything just seems to lack to be in the right place at the right time um and therefore um the accuracy comes with that but the difference as you say to other bowlers who you might say have very like like people often talk about chris wokes actions being almost like too smooth too perfect it allows bowls to pick it up really easily but i guess it's it, it, i think the wrist does make quite a big difference to how good archer is because if you think the point with the picking length thing is that if when you're bowling a bouncer for most bowlers that's because their arm is that much further long further forward, f- yeah. further forward than their mm. swing so that gives you quite a m- lot more of a, cue, a cue as a batter whereas if all it is is just that much of the wrist basically mm. then that's no clue at all and if his like if his line is the same every single ball and you basically have no idea what the length is going to be yeah it, makes, <laughs> it sounds make, like a nightmare it makes life very very unpleasant and if you watch watch joffrey sometimes when the camera tracks um, you know track will track the bowlers from side on as they run in and you kind of watch, watch where his this hand is with, on the ball and see how see how long the sort of like the, the the hand is to the tips of the fingers from sort of like the wrist bones is there's, there's a real sort of length in terms of that lever there so you've got a you know you've got an extra mm. an extra piece you know and all the all the best quick bowlers that think about somebody like Wazim Akram for example would would always talk about sort of like the snap of the wrist being the thing that gives that extra bit of backspin on the ball gives that little bit of extra bit of bounce rifles the ball more when you're trying to swing it and all of those things um, and so that you know that's very much part of, of what all fast bowlers try to do but if you're if you're if that lever on you happens to be you know a third longer than than than, than the next than the next guy then you have another weapon there that that is um, they're very potent for you. That, that six was great because you kind of, that first ODI, I mean, remember you said last week's pod that he'd said before the series that he was uh, only 80% fit. And I, I thought that he actually bowled quite well in that first ODI, yeah. even though it went for loads of runs. I, I thought as well. But it was like 80% of his balls were really good. Mm. And then the other 20%, South Africa scored loads of runs off. Uh, and, th- and at that point, you think like, okay, maybe this will just take a little bit of time. Maybe we do just need to think, you know, just readjust your expectations a bit and then in his second game he's sort of the Joffre Archer we, we kind of all know he could be it's what England's third best ever figures and, yeah uh, and, al- and also so he'd never taken a four for an ODI before but he had taken a three for in not far off half of his England appearances <laughs> um, so yeah he, he's quite something uh, oddly I thought it was a pretty good series for him despite the two losses because some of the bowlers are rusty some of them are coming back from long injury layoffs they weren't tactically as on it as they would be in a crunch World Cup game. And they're also possibly without three of their top six that will start the World Cup. Um, but one of the big selection debates will be who partners best over the top if he is fit. Roy scored 100 in the opener, has an excellent overall career record in ODI cricket. But David Milan is their in-form ODI player other than Butler at the moment. And I thought that innings in the third ODI was amazing, accelerating from 41 off 72 to 118 off 140. No, it was it was astonishing. He- he made what? It was, it was 29 off 60 balls or 64 balls or something. And it just looked for all the world as though he'd never held a bat before for most of it. And the pitch was tricky in the, in the, in the first 15 overs or so of the game. And he just, you know, the, the shoulders were slumped and he just, you know, wry smiles and then just staring quizzically at the pitch like, when am I ever going to find the middle of the bat? And then, you know, the, the pitch dried out. Obviously, it rained very heavily the night before. Um, and he, then he, you know, he had a sw- he swept one, didn't he? I think he swept Wayne Parnell for six, almost like a sort of shit or bust sort of thing. I'd, I'd, if I get out, I'm probably doing the team a favour. But he caught it and it sailed over the boundary. And then from there on in, he did, you know, it was it was an incredible innings. Um, and I think he's a fantastic player. I, I, I do think, however, if England if England have um, Bairstow to pick, and if if Roy continues 
um, you know, if he, he makes a few more runs or whatever, that that will be the opening partnership again. So so David Milan may well miss out altogether because Root will bat three, Brook will bat four, and then you've got Butler five and, and potentially Stokes at six, haven't you? If 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 he if he decides that he'll that he fancies playing in the World Cup, and that would be it, I think. Do you think Brook's definitely? Ahead of Milan, in ODI's, Milan's strike rate is, is never going to be a problem. No. Um, and Brook just, just hasn't played much 50 over cricket, full stop. No, but I, I, don't think that bo- I don't think that is going to bother them about him particularly. I just think that they see somebody that has got, has got so many attributes and is such a fine player that they'll, they'll want him in there. So I, I'd, I'd be unbelievably surprised. And the, but the thing is with, with Milan, if if Bairstow doesn't make it or Roy de, form doesn't, um, you know doesn't doesn't uh, doesn't warrant selection by the time we get down to there, then they've got somebody that can that can perform um, perform that role. So I, again, I don't think England are all that fussed about it at the moment. I think they're quite happy that, um, that, that there are some players who are not uh, not available for selection at the moment. It means they get to, to widen their pool and play a few more guys. They have a pretty good idea about what their what their best eleven might be if everyone were available. But they're also building up a great sort of um, you know a great dossier of, of other guys who can come in and fulfil fulfil those roles if for any reason they can't have exactly what they want. So. Um, in in the past, England would would have panicked. I think you know they lose five games on the bounce, and even though three of those were the that ridiculous series in Australia, didn't play particularly well last summer either in in ODI cricket. Um, there, there would have been a, a lot of panic and a lot of sort of um, uh, uh, you know hand wringing about what the the state of the ODI team in the lead up to the World Cup. I think I I find that that um, would be as far away from their thinking as is possible. They're, I think they're absolutely where they want to be with it. Um, and that also, South Africa played unbelievably well in in two of, in both of the two games that they won. You know, the bowling performance to to stop England from winning um, in the first game was was sensational. Um, Norkia and Magala, fabulous, and um, and and the run chase. I mean, they never looked like not chasing it down, did they? They got ahead of the rate and stayed there, which is which is takes some doing. It, and it, as you say, England's bowlers looked a little bit rusty. Wokes is short of a gallop and. Um, you know, Rashid didn't look particularly on it in the first, in, in the second game, but certainly did in the third. And so again, it's more a case that England is a progression. They're looking much further down the track and not too focused on reversals at this particular stage. Yeah, I guess also it's obviously fun to talk about what the pecking order might be and that sort of thing. But England don't really have to think about that yet. For Bangladesh, it seems like Bairstow probably won't be back. So Roy and Bairstow, um, Roy and Milan will open there. Um, Brooke will bat at four. I guess one thing that will come into their decision making is that the World Cup is in India, which makes this Bangladesh series a even more important one almost than this South Africa one. You've got a really good stat on this. Yeah, well, yeah. So um, the only team to have beaten Bangladesh in an ODI series at home or in Bangladesh since the 2015 World Cup were Joss Butler's England, actually, uh, in 2016 when he captained them for the first time, I think. And that was also a really good series. It was 2-1. Butler got a bit feisty at one point. Um, but so that, that'll be in against a very good team in similar-ish conditions to the World Cup and also conditions almost more extreme in a way. So you'll get more of a test of that kind of uh, of, of those uh, things that maybe Roy Milan don't have quite as much. That I think that really works in Brooks' favour, I guess, that we know he can play spin that well. And also, I think it's possible that Milan bats at four of the World Cup for sure, but England would almost, I think they'd rather have Milan over Roy, the Milan than Brook, because you'd want that kind of 
that type of player who can sort of come in. That's where Milan's slower starts could be more of an issue at number four, whereas Brook, we kind of know, can kind of come in and pick up the tempo of, a, of an innings very quickly. Also, I mean, Ben Duckett has had had a quiet time in South Africa and the, the ball bouncing was is, is something that, that is a, a slight concern about about Ben and the way that he plays with that three-quarter bat outside off stump, which is fine on, on low bouncing pitches, but when the ball bounces a bit more and there's a bit more pace on it, can be um, tricky. However, um, if you know there is a scenario ahead where where Roy's form doesn't come back to the to the degree that anybody would want it to be, and that Berso doesn't make it at all, and you're talking about India, so so Duckett being in the fold and, and having having an opportunity to play in these one-day internationals while England are kind of um, you, know, you know keeping their their big guns out of it is another great way of making sure that perhaps you've got another man who is. You know, opened the batting in, in Pakistan in Test matches, played magnificently in the seven-match T20 series in uh, in Pakistan. Um, you know, prior to the World Cup, and so so there's another guy that's kind of there just in case all of the other best laid plans don't work out for you. So all of these things are, are handy. Sorry, what's a three-quarter bat? Well, just it, rather than you know, off the back foot, outside off stump. It, it's it's neither a sort of like a back foot punch with the with the, the vertical bat, the toe pointing towards the floor, or a genuine sort of square cut horizontal trying to trying to lash it with a horizontal bat over the thing. He kind of plays that sort of somewhere in between the two, and then the two dismissals that he had in the in the series of uh, I think it was Ngidi was one and Nokia was one. Nokia was yeah. the other. Were both sort of like the a sort of a three quarter yeah. neither neither back foot punch neither square cut that that because the ball bounced that little bit more you you nick it to mm. the keeper. I sometimes think that about Brook as well. In in the T Twenty World Cup, he'd get mm. out playing that shot a mm. few times. Right, and um, uh, Joe, um, Joe Root also. Yeah. I mean that's a, another one of his dismissals, isn't it? When things, when the when the run down the third man isn't working quite so well, mm. he, can, he can do that too. But you know that that obviously the other subplot with with Duckett is is that you've got an Ashes series coming up, which I'm sure we'll get to, and whether or not that he the England see him as as their opening batter now after his success in Pakistan, or whether or not that was very much a horses for courses pick. I, I tend to think that it that it wasn't horses for courses, but there is there is the area that that would cause that needs a bit of attention from himself, you know, in terms of batting against the new ball against quicker bowlers on bouncier pitches that's all yeah and, and I don't think he should be but and we're getting a bit away from the ODI series but if if he were to struggle if, if him and Zach Crawley would have the same bad series in New Zealand if that makes sense I think it would be more like to stick with Crawley than with Duckett I think that'd be the right thing to do well, what gives you that impression like, yeah <laughs> <laughs> um I think I think I think well, we should, why would you think that <laughs> I think we should probably talk about Roy a little bit more because I think if the if these three games were the other way around mm. we'd be talking about him loads right now like that hundred in the first game that was brilliant and in, it wasn't in a way like Milan's in the in the third game and that it wasn't like he was scratching to find form and then suddenly found it it was just as if he'd never been away and it was it was crazy because there was no indication of it even in the SA20, which was in the same conditions in the same, obviously, country against lesser bowlers you'd expect. Um, and he was struggling there. And then he comes back in and all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, I'm Jason Roy. I'm one of the best audio batting we've ever had. And I'm going to play like it. Um, and he is he is like that. Like, uh, obviously, it, he's so sort of, he seems so confident. He walks with this kind of strut, his shoulders sway, uh, He you know, opening bowlers like feared sort of a, it's almost like the first four he hits and have won the game from from that point on sometimes um but there is actually almost as if that's a front I think uh like I, do, I don't think that that is that he is a player who has so much self-belief he, he can be very streaky very sort of susceptible to 
bouts of form. And we saw it in 2017 when he got dropped during the Champions Trophy and then only came back into the side when uh, there was the, the Hale Stokes thing in Bristol. And that's what gave him his go again. But even before that, I think there had been, you know, there wasn't, you wouldn't expect him to come back in and he was brilliant again straight away at that point as well. It can just be like a switch is flicked. Um, and he, and then I think he spoke to Phil either during, uh, during the summer after that um, and uh, basically spoke about the fact that he was basically wasn't sure how much he was still like fancying playing cricket, basically. That's how bad the, the form had got. That's how much he was doubting himself and that sort of thing. And so that's why I think he's also worth sticking with because it like because it can just be a matter of he will get back and all of a sudden he'll be that player we knew again. Um, and and when he is that player, there is no doubt that he is in England's best eleven. I guess. Yeah, and I, I wrote a thing on the website after the first game. People, I think, forget how good he is at ODI cricket and they lump the two white ball formats together a bit too much. So even when Roy's at his best, he's never actually been that good a T20 player. He's never been that much further ahead than the pack of lots of good England white ball openers. With an ODI cricket, I think his average is now just dipped under 40. But um, after the first game, in the history of ODI cricket, only Roy and Bairstow had scored 2,000 runs opening at a strike rate of over 100 and an average over 40. Like, that's the level of ODI player we're talking about. Yeah, and, um, oh, and again, I see the England, the people that matter, the people who pick the team, they they, they know all this. And so they, that's why they, they've stuck with him. We, we, can, we can talk and people on... Twitter and whatever can kind of give give their opinions about it, but until such a time as they think that Jason Roy, in terms in terms of his mental state, really is 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 busted, then they're going to play him because um, because they back him to they back him to come good. And and I think the great thing about the uh, the innings and, and the series that's just gone is that he looked like he was genuinely back in the back in the right frame of mind again. And 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 from there on, runs will come. Ben Safka are now in a decent position to qualify automatically for the World Cup. They looked very good. Um, and at the end of the day, England's only win was when South Africa were without Norkia and Rabada. I feel like more so than ever before, the ability to take middle over wickets is absolutely essential in ODIs. And when they've got Norkia, they've got someone who's pretty much as good at it as anyone in the world. Yeah, well, that was the key moment in the first game was his dismissal of Butler. And this was Butler who was set in a smallish chase. That 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 should be, you, you, you wouldn't ever doubt Butler from there. And yet it was just Norkia's skill that got him rather than than anything else and he, he is absolutely brilliant I mean obviously he's absolutely rapid as well but he is uh he, I mean he is a bowler that is, is the pace is his main weapon but he's accurate enough and has the skills that uh he will be a threat even when the ball uh isn't up, isn't new or old and even when uh there's no sort of imperative to take him on I guess and yet Slavka are really really good I mean I don't know if we'll talk about uh Stokes's claim that the schedule was England's main issue in ODIs uh, in a way it is the schedule in that the schedule has had England playing four very good teams in a row and that has been what has been their bad on a formula there's no shame to losing to this Africa side 2-1 away from home and then you know you've got the, the weird Australia series and then last summer England went toe-to-toe with two very good sides if they were the four semi-finalists in the World Cup wouldn't, wouldn't be, surprised wouldn't be that all. surprised even though South Africa they've struggled to qualify for this uh cricket World Cup uh, for the cricket World Cup but that's mostly because their form has just been weirdly split between this uh this league and the stuff outside of it i think outside of it they're eight two in uh like eight wins two defeats in Again, it's really good teams yeah and, they've and, beaten and australia three and india three nil in that they've time. had some really weak sides in games that mattered in terms of qualification yeah so so, so that they're really good they will be they'll be a threat and you look you look through that side and it, it kind of all makes sense i guess bavuma looks actually like a 
proactive tone setting opener. You've got a proper anchor there in Van Dusen, David Miller's record. You're talking about that 40 average 100 strike rate club. Even if you extend it beyond openers, there's very, very few that are in there. And he is one of those. Um, and yeah, he's he's a properly brilliant one day batter. And then, yeah, the bowling attack again, kind of all the bases covered. You've got, you know, proper, proper quicks. Uh, and you've got lots of them. You've got a left arm angling Janssen. You've got a, a clever wrist spinner in Shamsi. You've got a sort of a, an accurate one in, in, in Maharaj. They're a really good team. Matt asks, today's one-handed reverse sweep is just the latest reason to love Moeen Ali. He's clearly a key figure in both white ball squad. What exactly is his role at the moment and is his place in danger? Um, I was thinking about this quite a lot. So essentially, without Stokes, England have a dilemma. They want to have six bowlers. And to have six bowlers, you need to have one of your top six bowl. So Moeen, who is more of a seven historically than a six, and certainly in terms of recent ODI batting form, has to bat six or another all-rounder has to. And it's not that clear who it would be if it's not Moeen. So I think when you factor that in, I don't really think he, he's under that much. No, no, I don't danger. think he, I don't think he is. He's yeah. I mean, he only misses. I, I, I like seeing him walk to the wicket at number six. Actually, I kind of prefer it when he's got a little bit longer longer to go because I. Uh, in my in my viewing experience, um, and and I'm not I haven't got any statistics to back this up, but but Moeen tends to depart the scene before the game is won quite often, <laughs> and so having him come in as kind of like your last line and your finisher is not a great role for him. Mm. Um, but at six, he, he kind of can come in and kind of set yeah. it up for somebody else to do the, to do the deed at the end. He also, you know, he also had quite a bit to say about bowling, didn't he? In, in one day internationals, and saying he didn't really enjoy it. He kind of felt that it was it was very unfair with the new with the um, with the regulations with just four fielders outside, and it made it almost impossible to bowl, which was kind of talking yourself out of a gig, really. Um, he's done that before. I know. Yeah, I mean, he's just honest to a fault, isn't he? Um, but but if 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 Stokes decides that he that he is fully retired and is not coming back from the World Cup, then where else do England look? I suppose. Um, he also had a pretty yeah. good series with the bat. He did. No, two, yeah, that's that's what I mean. He had a fantastic yeah. series with the bat, batting at six, um, which I, I, I'm guessing he would, you know, he's a top order batter at heart, isn't he? He always has been. But for England, he's always had to fulfil lots of different roles depending on what's going on around him. And six would appear to be sort of like the, the position where he'd be very comfortable. If, but but again, if if Stokes is available, then he bats there, and so that's the end of it, isn't it? Right. Mm, yeah. <laughs> right? That's 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 that conversation done. Um, he then is the is the, the the bowler in the top six, and then you and then then basically you're picking in terms of conditions from there. Do you need do you want the the two spinners to play and Mo and uh, and Rash, or are you going to play another seam bowler? So that then he becomes um, you know a squad player as opposed to somebody that's in the eleven. And so I don't think anything. I don't think that's changed at all. The only Which thing was in 2019. No, and the only thing that changes is is Ben is is what he, is what happens with him. Um, but other than that, Mo's in and, and is a, a tremendously valuable member of that 11, 15, however many that they'll, that they'll have. Just on that one-handed reverse swap, my favourite thing about that was, if you watch the slow motion replay, is just how early he decided to play it. It wasn't as if like this is a last minute adjustment. It was pretty much as the ball left the hand, it's like, yeah, one hand actually. They've <laughs> <laughs> definitely been practising it. Yeah. I bet, I've had no doubt that this is, a new, this is their new thing. I think Moeen, could I mean we, we all know how good and talented Moen is and how good he has been at a batter at some points. It is worth touching on just how long it is since he's been good at batting in one day cricket. So between his last two half centuries, Ben Stokes has what been arrested, missed an Ashes series, uh, had a court case, been acquitted for a fray, 
um, play like won a World Cup final of his own back. Won and won played one of the all time great Ashes Test innings. Uh, you know, played another Ashes series, taken a year out of the game and revolutionised England's Test side, and that's all come between two and won another World Cup. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's all become two Monali like fifty plus scores, yeah. but. Like, don't really want to think about what could happen between the next two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but still, like, where? What do England do? Especially Butler wants these wants these options. It's trickier, I guess, when Root isn't there because you then really don't have anyone in that top five who can bowl. You wonder what it looks like. I know, you know, all of a sudden in the space of a week, you know, Roy's back in form. Milan's jumped ahead of him again. But if if you were to have a top three that was, say, Bearstow, Will Jacks, Joe Root. Would you then have such a need for the number six to be a bowler? I don't know. Um, and then there's also the question of, of Liam Livingston as well, who obviously is a different sort of bowler. I mean, mm. and, and how England have liked to use Moen Ali, like people look at his average and say it's really bad, but that's not really his role. He's there to bowl naught for 50, basically just put the game on pause for 10 overs and then it allows you the freedom to a, a have, have a bit a more A left-hander bowler, isn't he, or whatever. Uh, yeah, I mean, Livingston's another interesting role. I think we had we had this debate it was on the radio after the last one, sort of saying that, you know, there is also the chance that Murray might might just decide enough's enough, 30, what is he, 35 or whatever, but none, another year goes by and he might just think, I'm, I'm out of it. And, and he's he's paving the way to sort of to bow out with, with his comments about the bowling and, and, and England would kind of slot Liam Livingston in. I mean, all of these things are possible. Um, I felt sorry for him from a bowling point of view. The boundary in the last game was so short, the, the straight boundary. Clarkson played one back foot punch for six off just a good length ball because he could. You can't do that on yeah. a normal ground. And uh, the um, other thing you notice with watching all the spinners bowl in that in that last game, perhaps more so than than the uh, the other two in Bloemfontein, was just the the light. They're all trying to bowl it down the leg side, basically trying to bowl the ball because of the the four men out. There's always a huge gap. As soon as as soon as Shamsi got the ball outside off stump, he got hit for six. So the rest of the time, he ran up and bowled, you know, pitching leg or outside, turning further down the leg side in order just to go for one. You know what I mean? So it's not exactly attacking bowling, is it? And every time he tried to go go outside uh, outside off stump to try and get the ball in, on a line and length where he might be able to take a wicket, he just disappeared. And that's that's what Mo's talking about, isn't it? Is that kind of you know that you, you you have to bowl so defensively. And hope that a batter kind of skews one up in the air and gets out. You're not really in it, trying to to attack, um, unless of course the pitch is turning miles, which you never know. We might see. Mm. Simon asks: Is the lack of opportunity for England players to play any fifty over cricket, apart from a few internationals, has that left a problem for the men's World Cup defence? I guess every other country is basically in the same boat in that there's the top players don't really play domestic fifty over cricket. Um, but what I would say though and I'm not saying England should have done this because I don't think the schedule would have allowed it is that India have played so much international 50 over cricket recently and it's let someone like Shuman Gill who wasn't really on the scene six months ago to play loads going into the World Cup and he's an absolute nailed on starter for the World Cup if you compare him to someone like Harry Brook who's basically the same age thought of a similar level um, Brook's only played three ODIs um, but that I don't think it was feasible for England to play more. I don't think anyone's been calling for England to play more ODI cricket. So yeah, I don't, I don't think that puts England in a worse position than anyone else. No, and I don't think if you'd looked at the numbers in the lead up to the 2019 World Cup that that 11 that played the final would have played much in the in the One Day Cup in those years preceding. It's all, almost, I think, if, if there were to be an issue with this, 
it's almost that you'll see it in another five years time because maybe you'd say that those players needed that grounding in 40 or 50 over cricket uh, to then go and be the one day side they were but actually right before a world cup the players who are going to be in your one day side are not going to be playing in the one day cup no matter what the schedule is I think yeah but but you're absolutely right that that most of the guys in the 2019 world cup would have played a lot of that in their youth format yeah. at some point in their careers but guys of Brooks vintage or whatever are not you know going forward hardly going to play any at all um and that you know that that's as we said at the time it's, a, it's an issue um moving from 20 overs to 50 overs is is, is a big old difference um in terms of tempo as, as batters and, and things like that. I mean, you know, watching, it, it was stark actually watching Sam Curran bowl in this series. And that when, when, when his, you know, the, the supercomputer in his brain that kind of, the, 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 that gets him to, to outthink or second guess batters when he's bowling them in 20, 20 over cricket is not as useful in 50 over cricket. It just isn't because the rates aren't as high. You know what I mean? The, the batters, batters can actually react to the ball coming down. They're not, they haven't got 10 or 11, 12 runs and over in front of them that force them into playing in a certain way, which is where Curran is brilliant in, in the 20 over game. He looked much less likely to, to, to get to take a wicket or to be as effective um, when batters were sitting on sixes and sevens, you know, and that's, that's just, that's the differences in the sport. Somebody whose uh, somebody whose attributes are, are, are really really dangerous and fantastic in the shortest form become much less so without the pace and and, and the ability to remove people when they're just sitting there playing um, in in the slightly longer one. So that's that's another one to keep an eye on. Some other news in the men's team this week. It's been reported that the likes of Alex Hale, Sam Billings, Liam Dawson, and James Vince will play in the Pakistan Super League over. England's tour of Bangladesh. Um, Butch, I, I assume you're, you're broadly fine with that. These aren't centrally contracted players. In some, maybe even all of those cases, they're earning significantly more in the PSL than they are playing for England. Yeah, I, I'm fine with it. I, and, and, and again, it doesn't really matter what I think. It, what matters is what the England management think about it. And they are smart enough to understand that if you start issuing ultimatums to people around... Um, their participation in, in bilateral series playing for England versus their, their money earning power, then you're going to lose them for, for good. So they, they've, they've had to leave the door open and they've had to sort of be, be okay with it. And I, I, I don't, you know, for, for a lot of people, you know, and I completely agree with this side of the argument as well. If you turn down playing for your country, if you don't want to play for your country, then you should never be asked again type of thing. But that's not the world we're living in anymore. We used to live in that world used to be that, you know, if, if for whatever reason a player might decide they didn't want to go on a tour, a winter tour or whatever, whether it was, you know, mental health, bad form, having a baby, whatever it might be, that then you would kind of be frowned upon and put put at the back of the queue for selection the next time. Um, you know, the, the selectors and, and, and English cricket had just as much of an ego as certain players did around what around what went and what didn't back in the day. But we're, we're long past all of that now. If, um, if, the, if the captain and coach and, the, and, and Rob Key and the team feel that a player is going to be useful for England to win a tournament at some point, then they're very willing to kind of to, um, to play, you know, to, 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 to talk to the player and say, OK, well, what do you want to do? What's, what, how, does, how is this looking? Where, where, are your, where are you going to be getting your cricket? 
Um, and then from X point, we're gonna we'll we'll need you back, but we're you can go with our blessing to go and do this. And I think that's the only way you can navigate it. Otherwise, you end up with players just deciding that deciding that they could they can have an easier life, less stress, earn more money, spend more time at home, and not worry about it at all. And then you're in a situation that that a lot of a lot of um, you know cricketing nations around the world that don't have the finances um, of an England, Australia, or, or or India, they're finding themselves in that situation where there's nothing you can do. You just can't you can't persuade them to come and play. So you've lost them forever. I mean, Hales is someone who didn't put his name in the in the hat for the for the IPL because he earns quite a lot of money from the Pakistan Super League, and in the IPL he was unlikely to get a top top contract. Um, someone like Hales gets paid a lot of money from the PSL that that the ECB can't pay him really like mm. his, his not not for for bilateral no, not yeah, for a tour exactly. of Bangladesh and not for, no exactly so and and I think you know I, I and this is my this is just my own view I don't know this for for, for fact so it's not gospel truth but I just, my feeling is is that, that Alex Hales is probably is is done with 50 over cricket anyway I mean people might might sort of say well he'd be a great option at the top of the order well Maybe, but I'm not entirely sure he's all that bothered about playing 50 over cricket. So, um, in which case, the situation we're in is, is, is the right one. The Wisdom Shop is delighted to announce that the limited edition Cricket Grounds Great Britain illustration is now back in stock after yet another sellout run. Every single Test and County Championship ground has been included in the largest and most detailed piece of penmanship by artist Ben Staves. It is that one there. Um, I think Butch is, is putting it on screen for the YouTube viewers. In and amongst the cricket venues, look out for the towns and cities of the United Kingdom, each with their own iconic architectural landmarks. Um, as ever, you can get that from wizen.com forward slash shop. India were the first ever winners of the Women's Under-19 World Cup this week. They comfortably beat England in the final. England qualified for that final after winning a low-scoring thriller against Australia in the semis. They defended 99 in that game with Grace Scrivens, the England captain, taking the final wicket. Scrivens was named the player of the tournament. The Women's T20 World Cup starts in just over a week. The big news around that this week was that Van Nierkirk will not be part of the South Africa squad after failing a fitness test. Van Nierkirk is obviously one of South Africa's standout players. Without her, they are significantly weakened. Um, Guy asks, how do you feel about the invasive and personal nature of the Van Nierkirk story? Not everyone is built the same. Her performance has been improving. So this seems pretty unfair as a single red line. Surely you tailor to the individual rather than hanging her out to dry. Uh, ben, what do you think? Yeah, I mean... This is a massively complicated situation, I think. And it's also because this isn't just an isolated incident. This goes back to the stuff with Lizelle Lee last year when she was kind of forced into retirement because of Safka not being happy with her fitness and therefore her being unlikely to get an NOC to play in the 100. Um, and I think in that case with Lizelle Lee, there was quite a lot of sort of like rumour and reports in the media and all that sort of thing that went around rather than it being sort of clarified instantly and that was also not ideal. So I think Cricket Africa have probably gone too far the other way. I mean, Dene Van Niekerk, she's not played for South Africa in quite a long time now, almost 18 months, oh, really? I think. Yeah. Uh, after breaking her ankle. Um, and so they could have just said her fitness is not at a stage where we need it to be rather than saying she has missed this specific cutoff thing, I guess. Uh, on the decision itself, I mean, it's it's, it's a tricky one. There's no, there's no doubting that whether she can run two kilometres in nine and a half minutes or not, 
that Dene van Niekerk would improve this South Africa side if you slotted her in it tomorrow. I don't think, and I don't think that would even really be disputed by cricket South Africa. I think, I don't think they're saying that you have to be able to run this to be good at cricket almost. It's more that it's a, it's a standard they want to keep everyone to. And I guess the thing that they're saying is if you can't, if, if we allow for one person to sort of uh, get away from this, uh, from this marker, then that will, that, that will harm the team further down the line because you're less able to stick to those uh, things for other players and that sort of thing, which I I buy to an extent, but I also, I mean... I, they are a worse cricket team without Van Nieker. That, that, that's the thing. It, it, is it more complicated than that? Maybe it is, but also kind of probably it isn't. I also think that Van Nieker, she, she is a, a very, very hard worker. She's a brilliant leader. Uh, like she's she's not ever going to be any sort of bad influence any sort of like as if as if that because she's she's like she she is not gonna be the one that's the reason why other people are shirking the line she's gonna be people who are uh, that someone who's keeping people to that and you've seen no so marizan cap is is her wife and has taken a leave of absence for the final of the t20i series they're playing at the moment uh tri-series they're playing um just to be with van niekirk now and so there's also the fact of that kind of internal squad dynamics as well like if you have sort of a if you maybe have some people in the squad who maybe agree with the decision, I don't know. And then you have Cap there who's quite vocally against it. There's quite <laughs> quite a lot going on there. But I think centrally, she is very, very good at legsman bowling and at batting and at captaining. And Stafka are going to miss that. And that there is... It's tricky. Like, like if... I don't want to be too, like, you know, it was better in the good old days and that sort of thing. But... There were definitely times early in his career, for example, when Shane Warne would not have been able to run a two kilometres in eight and a half minutes. Um, and it's also the case that if we agree that part of what made Shane Warne good was his personality and that and that aura and how that enabled him to maybe get in batter's minds and to love the game and play the game with that sort of energy, and that was one of the things that made him good. Can you have that sort of player and then also demand that they fit to some sort of strict... Uh, but what, no, but obviously, having been in the professional game, the the, the standards for these things are, are generally quite loose, simply because you have to try and make sure that everybody can pass. I mean, that's the point. Now, I don't know how many times this test was failed. I don't know how many times that there'd been conversations between Cricket South Africa and Dene van Nierkirk. I think there are other questions over Cricket South Africa's handling of this. There was a very good piece by Fidos Munda, which has uh, some information in it um so some of the things that she was saying was that van niekirk was kind of training away from the Stafka team and that also this was the first time actually kind of since rejoining them that she'd actually run this two kilometers thing mm. and also so at one point they've uh reduced the cutoff from 10 minutes nine and a half minutes and this nine minutes 48 that van niekirk run was apparently a, a personal best for her so it's not as if even her fitness has maybe dropped since returning from this she's just not, she's just almost maybe the same fitness but is uh, that's now no longer good enough but then it also kind of feels like they maybe haven't worked with her enough to monitor how she was getting on to sort of be saying you might you know you might struggle to this this is yeah you, know, you need to I mean bring, bring this and in. all of that's fine I mean again the organization makes its decisions over its players I mean it's not it's really isn't for us to sort of decide whether it's the right thing to, to answer the question that, that the guy was saying about about sort of hanging her out to dry um it's kind of professional sport it really is I it's I don't I don't think it's, it's not personal or anything like that they they've they've set a standard captain has failed to meet it 
and they've made that decision. You can you can have a go at cricket South Africa, but how, what else were they going to say? We've left her out, but not give the reason. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, <laughs> you know, what do you expect them to do? Yeah, I just think the timing is, is crazy. Oh, absolutely, they've, they've got a home abs- World Cup. Absolutely, and it is. What ten it's, days before com- the first com- game at a home World Cup? It's they've completely dropped their and utterly bonkers. And it's not. She's not just their captain. She's clearly one of their best two players. When yeah. one of their other gun players retired in but there, in but there, there must there year. also must be other parts of the story that we don't know you know Denise Van Niekerk didn't John Batty left her out at here she didn't captain the Oval Invincibles did they when they defended their title in the 100 um, that also was, was, was tricky and we never really got to the bottom of what, what that was all about either South Af- will South Africa be a better cricket team for it no um Will 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 they have to stick by that standard for for other players going forward? Yes, um, Magala had a similar similar issue, didn't he? The the, uh, the the big South African quick about missing his targets, and then and then eventually he managed to to sneak under whatever the time was, and they brought him back into the side. So, I mean, with all with all of these things, that the onus ends up being on the player, doesn't it? Can you can you knock twenty seconds off your your nine and a half k? Probably yes. Did, did they give her enough time to do it? No, well, that's a question for their, for their board. Um, we've got some live breaking news. Breaking news. Uh, England have announced a pair of squads for that Bangladesh tour that Ben mentioned earlier. Shall I read it off? Ben, do you want to read it? So, uh, ODI squad, you've got Joss Butler, Tom Abel, Rian Ahmed. So, Abel and Ahmed, both uh, first-time ODI call-ups. Uh, Moen Ali, Joffre Archer, Sam Curran, Sakiba Mood. Nice. Dad Milan, Adil Rashid. Roy, Salt, Topley, James Vince is in the ODI squad, uh, Chris Wokes and Mark Wood. And then in T20s, similar squad, uh, Butler, Abel, Ahmed, Moeen, Archer, Curran, all in that. Jordan's in that, kind of as you expect. Milan, uh, Adil Rashid, Salt, Topley, Wokes and Wood. Uh, Tom Abel is a bit of a bolt from the blue. Obviously, mm. they, they like him. He's been capturing the Lions. Um, he's a very sort of, a, uh, you know, he's, he's been around for quite a long time and has had an up and down career for... Somerset was made to capture them at an early age. He shares a birthday with you. He you does, were born on the yeah. same day. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. So if, you ever, if you've ever wondered so how I, old I, Ben is, just look up Tom Abel on Quick Info. Yeah, and it means I'm, st- I'm, not, I'm not too old still to get my England <laughs> call up, if that's <laughs> maybe making a debut now. Uh, uh, yeah, and then Rian Ahmed, I guess that could be fascinating in those two squads. Talk about that Mo and Ali conversation. Yeah. Um, Rian Ahmed has... There's, there's a world in which Rian Ahmed featured in that 2023 World Cup, mm. I think. Well summarised. Back to the Women's World Cup. There are two groups of five. The top two from each group qualify for the semi-finals. England are in a group with India, Pakistan, Ireland and West Indies. So you'd expect England and India to come through that group. And then Australia and New Zealand um, are in a group with Bangladesh, Sri Lanka and hosts South Africa. Again, I'd say Australia and New Zealand are probably favourites for that one. Yeah, so I mean, Safka would be pretty good. So they're playing in that final against India today and that will be a, a, a good yeah. game. And they're, they're, even without, I guess that's the thing that's sad about Van Niekerk and, and Lee as well, is that this is a home World Cup with a Safka side that has actually regularly threatened the top end of these competitions. They were, what, semi-finalists and actually the second best team in the group stage, really, in the 2023 World Cup. Um, they were very unlucky not to get to the final of the 20. 20- 20 t20 world cup they obviously were heartbreaking beat running the 2017 world cup semi-final so in terms of tournament pedigree you'd put south africa ahead of new zealand i would probably put shade new zealand ahead of them on england's group west indies are like kind of hopeless at the moment i mean stephanie taylor's injured which hasn't helped but if you think go she's in their squad though okay well that's good because they have been like they've been very very bad in this tri-series like worse than you'd even expect for a west indies team who's kind of underperformed so they've had totals of 
94, 97, 111 and 97 in their four games in that tri-series, which is not great. The Borja Vasca series isn't too far away, but I almost think this is a more exciting series than the Ashes in terms of how consistently good it is mm. and that both teams are capable of winning a test match in the other country which 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 you can always get with the ashes yeah but yeah how do you how do you see it going yeah i, I think it's a belter because simply because the um you know the 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 potential for for banter is quite high isn't it you know they've got you know the indians with the, with a the very nationalistic view on and everything um wanting to be top dogs at cricket in australia who think it's their birthright to be top dogs at cricket it's just perfect it's, the, it's <laughs> one of the most niggly and and, and greatest series that go around I think India are the favourites for sure. I, you know, Australia's spin cupboard is not is not bare in particular, but it's not it's not as potent as it might be. And Nathan Lyon's sort of returns have been sort of diminishing of of late. Um, but again, you know, quicks India India can call upon some terrific quicks, as can Australia. The batting batting wise, they've got a couple of lineups that can both be very very aggressive. Um, and as long as we don't end up with um, with with less than optimal pitches, it should be a cracking series. Um, just on India, they, they they are without Bumrah for the start of the series at least. Uh, Shreyas Iyer has been ruled out of the first test, and obviously Pants out for the series as well. Yeah, so I'd, I'd imagine that the pitches will aid the spinners a lot, whether they're the kind of two day test surfaces or if they're just kind of giving assistance throughout. I mean, Australia, Australia have just had their own two day test match nonsense as well, haven't well, they? Yeah, in in yeah. Brisbane, so I mean, they're not they're not immune from. From that, and we had a two-day one here at the Oval didn't we? when the when the Queen died um, at the back of the year. But I think there's a you know there, there is um there is always the, the sort of like a world of difference between too much moisture being left on left left in a pitch, um, or the or the weather meaning that moisture doesn't come out of it as fast as you like, um, and a pitch that has never seen water. Um, because one of the, one of those things is a, is a decision made made, and the other one is something that sometimes is beholden to weather. So yeah, but um, but we'll see. Well, I mean, I, I I would I would love to see I'd love to see the pitches turn for mm. sure. Um, and and in a way, it would be almost more interesting because if Australia were to triumph on that, then there would be no questioning it as a triumph, I guess. Um, and there is, it's yeah, it's I think we talked about it before, but it's it's fascinating that Australia probably have the bat you'd most expect maybe the two bats you'd most expect to have a, a dominant series in uh, Labuschagne and Smith. But there is such a big question over the other, what, three or four, or the other four in that top six, three because they've kind of been to those sort of conditions and struggled before. And then Cameron Green, because he's he's so so young and whether Green even gets on the park because he's likely to miss the first test at least, or he's not going to be able to bowl in the first test. Um, and then also I think there is a question over Lyon, who's obviously, he's, he's a great of the game. He's been a big part of this very good Australia side, but has never played a significant part in a series win in Asia, which for a spinner is quite a big thing to not have checked off, especially a spinner of the stature of, of Lyons. So whether he can bowl on the level of Ashwin and Jadeja, who it looks like will be fit, um, will also go a big way to deciding it, I guess. Mm, I think Jadeja took a seventh in his first first last game back from injury. Ben, Mickey Arthur's got a new job, but he's also still at Derbyshire. Can you explain that one, please? Yeah, well, uh, they, they, they're calling him, well, originally they were calling him the online coach, which is uh, <laughs> quite a funny, quite a funny opinion. He's going to do it all over Zoom. It seems like he's going to be maybe a team director, 
but the also of, of Pakistan, but he's also they're not going to have a head coach, so he kind of is a head coach. But he's also but the, the Derbyshire head coach exactly. at the same time. Yeah, and, and you wonder how Derbyshire feel about this. That he's like, no, I'm, I'm sure I can do both, and they'd be like, can can you, Mickey? Like he, he is a guy <laughs> who never stops thinking about cricket, who is always like wanting to find a young player who can sculpt into the next big thing. I've been with him for the for the last week, <laughs> and he didn't mention it at all. I read it on the paper on the way and on the. Oh, online well, he, on the way in on the train to to London Bridge the could, other day, he kept co- it very quiet. You can kind of imagine how that conversation went. Um, Pakistan approached Mickey Arthur. Mickey Arthur says, "No, actually, I want to concentrate on Derbyshire." Pakistan then say, "You can do both," and Mickey Arthur says, "Really? <laughs> yeah. Are you sure? About Are you that? sure?" <laughs> I, I imagine Mickey Arthur is probably not saying no in like the most forceful way. You know, you know when you like want to, you don't want to do like a plan with a friend or something. Uh, but you don't want to say, I just, I just really can't face it. And you, call, you sort of half think of an excuse. And they're kind of really making like, oh, no, we, we can, you know, we can rearrange this. We can rearrange this. And you're like, and you don't want to say, I just can't do it. And that's what's happened with Mickey Arthur <laughs> and the PCB. They're like, he's like, oh, you know, I've, I've kind of got, got, got plans that day. I kind of don't really want to. And they're like, no, you can do this. You can do this. And eventually he's like, oh, yeah, sure, fine. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how it, how it, how it turns out. Um, then there's not, they're not hugely happy about it, it seems, within the ex-cricketers in Pakistan, but that doesn't mean it's a you think? <laughs> no, I think they've all missed out on a job, haven't they? They're saying there are loads of good coaches in Pakistan, and it's like yeah, I, wonder, I wonder who. Yeah, who at least, about. at least they're in the same on the same continent. Yeah. <laughs> and our now weekly feature, Ben, tell us what's happened in the franchise world. Two minutes starting now. So the game of the week was in the Bangladesh Premier League. Uh, you had 90s for Shy Hope and Tammy McBell. Then Rizwan hit a quick 70. Camilla Victor was off to a good start, but it was. Uh, uh, Johnson Charles, who basted nothing until Rizwan got out. He was 34. You can, slow, you can slow down. He was 34 off 31. And then he hit seven sixes in 13 balls and wins the game, basing the space of three overs, chasing, what, 213. So makes a 53 ball 100. So that's 66 of his last or of his next, like, tw- 22 balls. It was mad. Um, that's the main thing from the BPL. In the ILT 20, Adam Zampa has 420 on his back and is bowling very well. Uh Billings pulled off an amazing stumping slash run out of Kent's teammate Joe Denley. So friction in the dressing room when they reunite back there. Uh, Denley sort of blocks it down by his toes, sort of bounces away on the offside. Uh, Billings sort of takes off, pounces, grabs it, flings it behind him without looking at the stumps. Denley's sort of a little bit dozy and getting back in and uh, the bails are off. Um, Dan Mousley and Karen Pollard put on 89 and 5.2 overs. Uh, maybe that's a passing the baton moment between <laughs> two greats of the game. Dan Mousley, yeah. nice work. It, it was quite funny seeing fans in the road outside the stadium basically running into the road, fetching the balls and either just sprinting away with them or throwing them back into the stadium. Some quite good arms on show there. Uh, the BBL is somehow still going on. Uh, five of the eight teams in the group stage make the finals and they really drag out that last sort of whatever, seven or 22 knockout games or whatever it is. Uh, anyway, the last pre-final game is going on today. Looks like Brisbane Heat facing Perth Scorchers in the final, uh, but all the test guys will be gone, so that could be quite a low-quality affair. And if I can just dip into the Randy Trophy for, for the last bit. Uh, the Randy Trophy's quarterfinals have been good. Uh, Sarah Astra's path but hit an amazing 100, based on nothing in his uh, professional career up until now. Comes in at number nine, uh, side of 147 for eight, and hits 111 to take them to 303. It was an amazing sort of skip down the track and then a slog sweep to get to his first ever 50, which is great. And uh, Hanuma Vahari broke his hand and then came out to play some Moeen-esque one-handed swipes, which is also quite fun. And that is your two minutes. Fantastically wow. done. Um, I don't think we give you enough credit for actually following that much cricket <laughs> each week. Um, That's why he's looking so old. <laughs> Tom Abel's age. 
couple of <laughs> couple of other pieces of news to, to round off before we finish. India beat New Zealand 2-1 in a T20i series. Shuman Gill scored his fourth international 100 of 2023 in the series finale. The uh, curator of the Look Now pitch used for the second game of that series has been sacked. Uh, India chased down 100 with just one ball to spare after the game. India captain Hardik Pandya said, to be honest, it was a shocker of a wicket. Just, just actually, I think there might be something a bit more significant in that, in that Pandya is technically not the full-time T20i captain. That's still Rohit Sharma. But having the power to dismiss a pitch curator just by a decree is usually only reserved for full-time India captains. In fairness there, I don't think that was just Pandya. I think there was an explanation that was put out on why the pitch was really bad. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, at the Oval, uh, we're here, you can see like two or three weeks out of an international that they are preparing that pitch for the international. He just wasn't doing it. Ba- basically, <laughs> wasn't doing it. Fine, fair um, enough. And he's been replaced by someone who prepared international pitches before. Yeah, the only, it, that was a fun game still though. It's, I mean, it's made, quite nice to have T20s that, uh, expose a different skill set sometimes. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, and finally, England Lions are playing Shranka at the moment. Matt Fisher took a five foot in the first innings uh, where Shranka would bowl out for not many. And then Tom Haynes scored uh, 100 on his England Lions debut. He averages just over 38 in first class cricket. England Lions scored 450 odd at more than five and over. Um, so yeah, they're, they're still doing that. Um, Anyway, that is all we have time for on today's show. Cheers, Ben. Cheers, but This has been the Wizard Cricket Weekly podcast. We'll be back early next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.